From our nation's capital, this is Naps Chat. I'm gonna stand right down and write myself a letter And make believe it came from you Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Naps Chat. I'm Bob Levy, the Director of Legislative and Political Affairs for the National Association of Postal Supervisors. On this week's NAPS Chat, I'd like to talk with you, our NAPS Chatters, about a number of critical presidential, legislative, and regulatory issues that may have a large imprint on the trajectory of the United States Postal Service, its employees, and the mailing public. In short, the issues concern presidential nominations to postal entities, the House of Representatives' snail's pace at moving postal legislation, a new postal complaint against the Postal Service filed by 20 state attorney generals, and a modest and very limited postal pilot program to provide very basic banking services. Let's start with presidential nominations. On Wednesday, October 6th, President Biden announced his intention to nominate Michael Kubianda for a full six-year term as a member of the Postal Regulatory Commission. Kubianda was first nominated to the commission in June 2018 by former President Donald Trump and confirmed by the Senate in January 2019. President Biden designated him as Postal Regulatory Commission chairman in January 2021. His current term expires December 8th this year. In previous chapters of his professional career, Kubianda was on the staff of the House Committee on Oversight and Government Reform and the Office of the Postal Service Inspector General. As an author of one of the additional opinions appended to the Postal Regulatory Commission's recent advisory opinion on changing the first-class mail standards, he was highly critical of the Postal Service's rush to implementation and failure to validate its operational and financial projections relating to the service changes. In addition, he suggested that Congress may want to consider legislation to empower the Postal Regulatory Commission to provide more than simply advice to the Postal Service on operational issues of national consequence. We would expect the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Chairman Gary Peters of Michigan to schedule confirmation hearings shortly, as there are only five legislative weeks between now and December 8th, the date on which Kubianda's term expires. Interestingly, Two of the Board of Governors' terms also expired on December 8th. Board of Governors Chairman Ron Bloom is currently in his so-called holdover year, so if he is not nominated by the President and confirmed by the Senate to continue as a governor, he will have to vacate his seat on December 8th. Also, Postal Board of Governors member John Barger's term expires on December 8th but he could potentially continue to serve for one year as a holdover if he is not renominated and no one else is nominated and confirmed as successor. It is important to note that Bloom is a Democrat and Barger is a Republican, so if both are renominated, the partisan split on the board would continue to be 
five Democrats and four Republicans. Nevertheless, there appears to be considerable controversy about whether Bloom should be renominated as a result of his strong advocacy on behalf of Postmaster General Louis DeJoy and the implementation of DeJoy's operational plans. Any one senator could place a hold on the nomination of Bloom should Biden want to extend Bloom's tenure, and there seems to be considerable Democratic pressure on the president to nominate someone other than Bloom. But nominate he must, since without a Democratic nominee to the Board of Governors, the partisan split will be a four-to-four tie, with DeJoy and Deputy Postmaster General Doug Tolino also serving on the Board of Governors. The president could decide to recast the board and nominate another Republican to replace Barga, but the pressure is not as intense on replacing Barger, since Barger could serve another year as a holdover. As I indicated, within the context of the Kobianda nomination, there are only five legislative weeks in which President Biden and the Senate must act, or there will be a vacancy on the Board of Governors because Governor Bloom's term will lapse. Which brings me back to the Postal Regulatory Commission. On October 7th, the Attorney Generals of 20 states filed a complaint with the Postal Regulatory Commission relating to the Postmaster General's operational changes in their entirety. These are the same Attorney Generals who filed suit in federal court over a narrow set of issues relating to the Postal Service's operational changes, which commenced last year. Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro a recent guest on NAB's chat, is spearheading the legal and regulatory strategies. In part, the Attorney General's complaint argues that the Postal Service should have requested an advisory opinion on the entire USPS 10-year plan, rather than just the change in the first-class letter and the first-class parcel delivery standards. In their filing, the Attorney General suggests that the changes harm residents and businesses domiciled in their respective states. Using the Postal Service's own words, the attorneys seek to demonstrate the indivisibility among the different parts of the 10-year plan and how as a result of the unity of the plan, the Postal Service should have requested an advisory opinion on the 10-year plan in its entirety. The 20 attorney generals asked the Postal Regulatory Commission to take appropriate action to achieve compliance with the law and the Postal Regulatory Commission to order the Postal Service to seek an advisory opinion on the plan in its entirety. Obviously, this will be interesting, but possibly an academic exercise since the Postal Service is already implementing the plan. Under the law, Within 90 days of filing of the complaint, the Postal Regulatory Commission must either begin proceedings on that complaint or dismiss the complaint. The Postal Regulatory Commission's decision either way, and its ultimate decision on the complaint, can be appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia. Within the context of postal legislative activities, Included in the report language appended to recent appropriations legislation over the past few years, there have been efforts by members of Congress to encourage the Postal Service to explore what has been referred to as P-1. 
postal banking. This is an issue in which the Office of the Postal Inspector General has weighed in in the past, particularly former Inspector General David Williams, and he has suggested that the Postal Service could avail itself to an additional $9 billion in revenue as the result of entertaining efforts in postal banking. In addition, the Pew Charitable Trust and other public interest groups have proposed postal banking as a way to provide rudimentary financial services to the so-called unbanked. In addition, some see the Postal Service as a means to push back against the predatory payday loan industry, which has wreaked havoc on thousands of low-income Americans. Opposition to this type of banking proposal emerged from the banking industry, who saw the Postal Service's re-entry into financial service, even a modest one, as a threat. In any case, the Postal Service recently unveiled a limited pilot program to provide very, very basic financial services to four distinct communities in the country. Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Maryland, Falls Church, Virginia, and the Bronx, New York. Obviously, banking interests are howling. So what is all the fuss about? Simply stated, these four post offices are accepting business and payroll checks of $500 or less and giving postal customers the opportunity to exchange them for single-use gift cards with a value not to exceed $500. According to press reports, customers will be charged a flat fee of $5.95 for the card. The interests opposing the pilot program view it as a foot in the door for the potential expansion of postal banking. Advocates for postal banking were pleased by the initiative, but deeply disappointed in the limitations of its products and its geographic reach. There have been proposals to permit the Postal Service to reintroduce postal savings and checkings accounts, as well as small loans. No doubt, bankers will attempt to nip this initiative, though it be small, in the bud before it has the opportunity to flower. The final issue that I would like to discuss with you is possibly the most frustrating to the postal community, which is the lethargic pace with which postal relief legislation is moving through the House of Representatives. It appears that H.R. 3076, the Bipartisan Postal Reform Act of 2021, is ensnared in the clutches, the maddening grip of the House Ways and Means and the House Energy and Commerce Committee. This protracted delay in reaching the floor of the House of Representatives is despite the fact that the bill garnered a strong bipartisan vote by the House Oversight and Reform Committee, and it has the support of House leadership. What is holding up the bill is the difficulty in addressing a couple of concerns that apparently have been raised by the two committees with jurisdiction over the Medicare program. Due to the committee's legislative distraction involving the overall federal budget and their lingering and not-too-focused attention to postal issues, the Speaker of the House granted the committees two extensions regarding their jurisdiction over H.R. 3076. In mid-July, the Speaker granted a temporary extension of jurisdiction through September 30th. And on September 30th, when that timeline ran out, the Speaker further extended jurisdiction of the two committees through November 8th. 
the National Association of Postal Supervisors has engaged with House leadership and the relevant committee chairs relating to the drawn-out deliberation over the bill. Let's talk about the committee's concerns. The first concern is the provision in H.R. 3076 to waive the late enrollment penalty for postal retirees who previously declined Medicare Part B coverage, but now recognize their mistake and would like to avail themselves of a Medicare Part B open season that would be authorized under H.R. 3076. It is reported that the committees are less than enthusiastic about a complete waiver. Should the committees insist on no penalty waiver, that is, that not to provide a penalty waiver, it is conceivable that the Postal Service would have to cover that penalty. The second issue is the aggregate cost to Medicare of the projected increase in Medicare Part B participants under the proposal. Currently, about 20% of postal retirees decline Part B coverage at the time that they are first eligible for Medicare Part B. Under the legislation, that is H.R. 3076, all future retirees who are eligible for Medicare, with few exceptions, would participate in Medicare Part B. It is important for the committees to recognize that Medicare costs should assume eligibility as the basis of future Medicare costs, not who they think will enroll in Medicare Part B. So the entirety of anyone who's eligible for Medicare Part B should be included in the projections. At the end, NAPS will continue to work to enact constructive relief legislation to ensure that our members are provided secure and meaningful employment and retirement. I want to thank NAPS Chat listeners for logging on this week. If you enjoy NAPS Chat, please leave us a positive review in the Apple Podcast Store. And more importantly, share NAPS Chat with your friends and colleagues. Until next week, be safe and be healthy. I'm gonna send